You hear that psalm? Did you note the theme as we were singing through uh, those, those choruses, those hymns this morning? We see it here in the, in the psalm. Uh, in verse 8, it says, Make me know the way I should go. Then down in verse 10, I love this line, Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And that's what we're, we're talking about. That is the theme of Acts. The Spirit of the Lord leading his people. Leading them along to do what he's called them to do. And that is who we want to be in this day. So let's bow our heads once again and just ask the Lord to, uh, to um, I guess, work in our hearts through his word this morning. Father, we come before you um, with a holy anticipation wanting you to speak to our hearts, wanting you to continue this, this process that you've begun. You saved us, you brought us to yourself, but you continue to transform us. You don't leave us on our own to, to flounder, but your spirit lives in your people. And I just trust that we would have a better, clearer understanding of how that works, that we would be working together with you in this great process, that we would know the joy and satisfaction of being connected with you in this work. And we recognize that even in the simplicity of our time together this morning, as we open your word and as we look to you with hearts prepared, that you wish to speak to us, you want to work in us and through us. So lead us, we ask, in your son's name, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As we uh, came back to our study in Acts, I had sort of been looking at it and thought, I, I stopped when I had stopped before a chapter too early, um, because technically there's more of a break between 12 and 13 than there was between 11 and 12. I stopped at the end of chapter 11. But we saw as we started into chapter 12 last week, uh, it gave us a great review for what the Lord had been doing for God's plan for his church, we remember the Lord told his disciples to be witnesses. But then he told them to wait. Wait on him. As there was something that he was going to do. It was going to be through his presence in their lives as the Holy Spirit that they were going to accomplish his purposes. So they waited. They waited on him. They waited for him in Jerusalem but they didn't wait in an inanimate, in a, they weren't just hanging out. They were in intimate relationship with the Lord and fellowship with him. And as they participated with him uh, in just the things that he brought to pass, they watched him work in ways that they would have never foreseen. There was a, there was a supernatural productiveness because of their patient submission we need to think about that we we look back over those chapters and we remember what happened the 3,000 souls on that first day in Jerusalem and there were many other examples of how God worked in ways you know sometimes miraculous obviously miraculous ways other times we would say not so miraculous but it was God doing a work and it was doing more than anything that anybody could accomplish on their own. He was doing the work and they were available. And you remember what he said to them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus said in that verse, um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And you know, as he gave them those instructions, humanly speaking, and we know the disciples were very human guys, they probably were thinking, okay, how are we going to do this work? Let's divide this in sectors. Let's put people responsible over each uh, area. Let's develop a great sales pitch and let's go out the advertising has to be advertising you know they they would have probably been planning in their own mind how they're going to do this 
And they would have gone out like traveling salesmen trying to sell a product that nobody understood if they went on their own. What do I mean by that? Selling a product that nobody understood. Imagine if you went into uh, Thamesford today and tried to sell washboards. Think they go? That's old tech. People probably wouldn't know what they were. But imagine if you went in the 80s into Thamesford and were trying to sell internet. Would it work? There was nothing to hook up to. People would go, what's an internet? And so we understand that, you know, there's something old and something very new to what the disciples were trying to share. And something that people would not have been able to comprehend apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from God's working in people's hearts, working through what they were saying, what they were trying to communicate, and working in the heart of the recipients. And, and that's what we, we ended up seeing. We saw the Spirit of the Lord work through them in dramatic effect, offering an ancient relationship. Not something that was just old-fashioned, but an ancient relationship with God. But it was, it was something that was, there was an automatic link. It was, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved, and the Holy Spirit connects you to God. And so this was something that was old, it was new, and it, was, it functioned, and people would have just been scratching their head apart from God doing the work through his people. And we saw how that snowballed, how it growed, how the Spirit of, grew, how the Spirit of the Lord worked through them, worked in the hearts of the hearers, and people came to Christ. There was life, um, because Jesus Christ is life. And this gospel truth was a living Word And as we concluded chapter 12 last week, it said in verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. This is sort of a touchstone in the middle of the book, and there are a few of them. This is actually the precursor to that third stage that was talked about in Acts chapter 1. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost part. This verse, 24, says it's continue to grow and multiply or increase. But there were these other stages that had been worked through, not completely completed, but the Jerusalem stage um, where they preached and many came to know the Lord, that was concluded uh, in Acts chapter 6 where we get this verse in Acts 6 verse 7. It says this, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So that verse concludes that. Look, the Lord worked in wonderful ways in Jerusalem. He'll continue to work there, but that stage, that step that the disciples were supposed to complete, completed right there. Then we go on and they go into, it extend into Judea and Samaria. And in chapter 9, verse 31, the next sort of touchstone, the stage is completed sort of statement, it says this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. And so we see how this book has a structure, this report, this historical report. This is what Jesus told them to do. This is how it's being worked out and it's being done through the power of the Spirit, God's Spirit in his people. The word of God increased and multiplied. We know that last week we studied that idea of waiting and walking with the Lord and watching him work. And this is how, as we move into this next section, which is unto the uttermost parts of the world, this is how it continues to happen. It's not like, oh, wow, this is a bigger stage now. We have to change everything. The principles get turned on their head. No, it's the same thing. It's got to be the Lord. It's got to be him in us him in his people, him through his people, and working in the hearts of the hearers 
that's going to accomplish his purposes. But before we begin chapter 13, I have to say that we did see this start to develop in the closing verses of chapter 12, where it talks about Paul and Barnabas, or sorry, Barnabas and Saul returning from Jerusalem uh, with John Mark, and they went to they went to Antioch. And we need to understand that Antioch is sort of part of this next step. Antioch is a is a city on the edge of what is now modern-day Turkey. And so this is getting into the uttermost parts of the world. This is the rest of the world. This is outside of the zone where that relationship with God was really focused up until this point in time. There were also some other things that we didn't really deal with in depth last week because we didn't have time and they weren't as important as critical to the message at hand But there were some questions, and my wife asked me, what about Herod being eaten by worms? Now, I know she would probably want a whole message on that. Now she's embarrassed, sorry. Um, No, it was a situation, it was something that happened, and we go, what was that all about? But there's something interesting about that that sort of ties in, ties in with where we're going today. It was a spectacle but it was not of special importance. But there was another Jewish historian named Josephus, and he wrote about this. And we remember how it said, Herod got up and he spoke with a, you know, they said, oh, this is the voice of a God, not a man. But you know, it wasn't just his voice. Josephus tells us that when Herod went into this region, when he went to give this big speech, he was dressed in a suit of silver. Okay, imagine that. In that day and age, he's got this foil suit on, the sun reflecting on. He's trying to do an impression of the incarnation, right? Or the transfiguration, I mean. He's trying to be like an angel. There's, There's light shining on him, reflecting back at the people, and Herod's up there, and the people are going, oh, the voice of a God. This this guy, and all was good, Josephus tells us, until he saw an owl. Uh Uh-oh. Bad news. I mean, if you're superstitious, there are superstitious people who believe owls are the sign of a bad omen. And it said after that, Josephus says after that he was five days in bed and then he died from apparently some parasites that were eating him up on the inside. So that's a little bit more detail. So you get this little statement here. uh, You know, he was eaten up by worms and you're going, what was that all about? There's a little more detail to it from a historical perspective. But what would we learn from that? Well, if you live in a region of the world where there are parasites, do a parasite cleanse from time to time. But something more practical, spiritually speaking, don't try to do God. This was laid out by God in his word as a spiritual judgment a judgment on this man who is trying to be a God to the people. And this is nothing new. Um, This is nothing strange. We know all the way through Daniel, there were the leaders like Nebuchadnezzar and others who tried to do God. And we shouldn't be shocked by it because in our little ways, don't you and I try to be God? We want to take control of things We want things to go the way we want them to go. We don't take that submissive position before God to work with him, for him, honoring him, serving him. We kind of try and step out in front and say, you know, God, I really think this is the way things should be. And that's us being God. It's a very natural part of our human sinfulness, our fallenness. We like to step out of where we should be and try to do what we should not do. And so we should try to not be like God, but live in relationship with him. And that's what we see. That's what we see here in Acts. That's what we're learning about. Workers together with God. And these are people who walked with Jesus Christ. They were in a better position than us. 
to take over the reins, to say, look out, now we've got this. We'll... But they didn't, did they? They walked with the Lord. They watched him, how he had this dependence on the Father, and they modeled that dependence. They had that dependence on the Lord. And that's what we're going to see as we go into this passage today as God continues to extend his kingdom to expand the network of worshipers and the Lord's spirit sets us apart, sends us out and sets us up for a satisfying achievement in terms of doing his will. And let's start to read. It says in verse 1 of chapter 13, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. What do we see going on here? We see people who are doing church normally. And what I think is amazing is the humility of a guy like Saul. You think of what happened in Saul's life. You think of what has, has gone on to this point in time. He was somebody who sat at the feet of the Lord for a few years we go back to Galatians 1, he gives a little hint of this, how, remember, after the Lord called him on the road to Damascus, he went away from everybody. And he was off in Arabia, he was learning from the Lord. The Lord spoke directly to him. That's how he could be an apostle, okay? An apostle is somebody who learned directly from the Lord, Paul called himself, I'm an apostle out of due time because I wasn't one of those apostles who walked with Jesus when he was here in his earthly life. But after his ascension, when I was persecuting the church, I came to him, I, I was saved, or he came to me, rather. And he taught me. And here is a guy who knows he sat at the feet of the Lord, learned directly from the Lord, he talks later on about being taken up into heaven even, or these visions he must have had. And he's willing to be a Sunday school teacher. Just goes back to a, the church of Antioch and he's there just teaching people. And I think that's, that's humility. He wasn't there, you know, listen, I gotta be the guy. I wanna go out, I need to... He just was happy, he was content, he, was, he knew he was doing the work of God. And it's not just his humility, but the importance of any opportunity that we have to speak truth, to teach truth. Think of the people who are teaching the kids right now. What an incredible responsibility they have as they teach children, shape their lives. This is the everyday. And a lot of times we get kind of thinking, oh, well, you know, this is just a, a normal thing. This isn't anything too glamorous. This isn't anything that important. But any time we get to, do we know who we're even teaching? I know of a couple of people in, in my past, um, you know, one guy, I, I think I've mentioned him here before, I I remember I was picking up his brother for youth group down near Windsor and when we were in ministry down there and, and just looking at this guy, he's cutting grass with his aviators on. He was so cool. I just thought, man, that guy, I'll never know the Lord. That guy's a pastor now. God says to me, oh, ye of little faith. It's my work. It's not your work. It's not your ability. It's not... I, he can change anybody. I look at another guy, another young guy down in Peru. He was a, a skateboarding atheist, okay? Now he's serving the Lord. And you go, where did that come from? But it is, it's God's work. 
It's God's work in people's hearts. And any time, it's God's work through us. Anytime we have the opportunity to share Christ, to teach the gospel and the surrounding truths, it is a privilege. It's a tremendous responsibility and it's something we need to hold high as a, as a, a wonderful opportunity. And so here they are, these, these guys, these different guys, they're, they're just, they're teaching in their church and doing the things that churches do, things that they'll never be recognized for. Oh, the church worships. We don't get any awards for worshiping. They're fasting, they're praying. There's no uh, awards banquets at the end of the year that churches get for do these are just the, the regular sort of things that we do they're not glamorous but in this moment as they are waiting walking in obedience it says the Lord sets apart Barnabas and Saul and he continues to do something that he's done and been doing before Saul was ever born Go back to that Galatians passage, chapter one. It says, uh, Paul says, God sent me apart before I was born. And we see that it is God's work. Even when we're not aware, even sometimes when we're not walking in obedience, God takes us and he says, no, you're mine. I have a special purpose for you. So Paul, who was, you know, before he was born, set apart. Paul, who was set apart after he got knocked off the horse, remember the bright lights, the Lord came to him and said, why are you persecuting me as Paul was persecuting the Lord's church? Once again, another step, another stage in the process. God is setting him apart again for a special work, for a ministry that he has purposed for him to do. Do we see steps like that in our lives? Do we see moments and times in the past where God has said, nope, you're, you're mine and I have something for you to do? Is he done? Is there something more he has for you to do? Is there some other way he wants to use you in the extension of his kingdom? Listen, if we're his children, there is. He has eternal purposes. He has things that he wants to continue to do through each one of us. And so we need to stop thinking about life as, well, these are just normal circumstances. No, God has this purpose of setting people apart making them holy. They did it back in the Old Testament with regular pieces of furniture, but they were for the temple. And so it says they were made holy. They were set apart for a special use and that was their use and it was for the Lord. We're not pieces of furniture. We're God's children. And if we've been called, we were called to him before we were born. When we were unaware, still sinners, it says in Romans, Christ died for us. He paid for our sin. You might still be unaware. You might be walking in disobedience. That does not mean the Lord does not want to set you apart. We need to remember that. He has his purposes. But oh, how much better than just be being surprised by God as we're you know, unaware or walking in the opposite direction. What a wonderful thing to be walking in obedience. Walking in obedience. And hearing the voice of the Lord. Saying, Lord, I'm willing. I want to serve you. And him saying, okay, well, that person over there, go, go talk to them. There's a need here. Why not help this person here? Speak to your neighbor. 
Share with them the gospel. This is the moment. Take the extra time out of your day. Submit to me. Trust me in the process. I want to use you, God says, to extend my kingdom. That's what we pray, isn't it? Our Father who art in heaven, right? We say your kingdom come. That's why Christ left that prayer with his disciples, to be constantly thinking of, yes, it's God's kingdom here. We want his kingdom, his gospel extended. We're involved in that process. Well, they were sent out by his spirit to extend the effect of the gospel. Let's continue reading in the chapter. It says, verses four to seven, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, See, it's almost like the church wasn't even involved because it was the church being used by God. So they were sent out, Barnabas and Paul, by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now think of this, first of all. What confidence Saul and Barnabas would have traveled with as they understood this statement, they were sent out by God. They weren't just, you know, launched by the church because the church thought this was a good idea. You know, why don't we start another franchise in another town? They weren't just shot out of a missionary cannon, but there was, they were sent out by people who were waiting on the Lord. It was God working through the church. And so as they went out, and it, you know, we sort of look at the direction they traveled in, and we, we don't have a lot of details. We don't know why they ended up exactly where they ended up, but it was God working in them and through them, God working through their church. It was obviously God who sent them out, and so they went with a sense of confidence. We can do this. Because God has sent us. Because God has a ministry for us to fulfill. Because they were being led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And what's holy mean? Set apart. They were set apart by the set-aparting Spirit. Or the set-apart Spirit. The different Spirit. The, the special Spirit. Not just a Spirit, but the Spirit of the Lord. And He was the one who is using them, who is sending them out. And so they arrived on this island. And they were confronted by a Jewish witch who was also called a false prophet. And I can imagine Saul saying, Barnabas, we're not in Kansas anymore. Things are different. You know, when you land in a situation like that, you want to have a certain level of certainty that the Lord is the one who brought you there. I know we live in a, in a country that has, um, you know, pretty much made everything scientific. And we don't think too much about, you know, we always call it mental disorder. It's not a spiritual problem. But we, we arrived in a place where you know, there were people walking down the road with no clothes on or close to it who hadn't bathed or showered for years and they were saying and doing things that you obviously knew there were evil spirits involved. And it was not something that you're used to. And you realize, boy, this isn't something I can handle on my own. The Lord takes our control away. He takes away our confidence in ourselves, and it's a good thing because we need to be, we need to be dependent on him because this is his work and only he can do it and he wants to use us. And if we go out there thinking we can do things on our own, it's not necessarily, I'm not necessarily saying we're gonna be confronted by some 
overt evil spirit like this. But we won't be able to share effectively the gospel of Jesus Christ if we're not in dependence on him, if he's not working through us, if we're not walking in relationship with him. We're not going to see him working in the hearts of other people because we're going to be doing our own thing. But look what happens. These guys are walking with the Lord. They confront something that is obviously an obstruction, but on the other hand, there's the proconsul, a Roman government leader in that area, and he says, I want to know more about the Lord. Is there any greater indication of the leading of the Lord in our lives as we try and share the gospel that somebody wants to hear, especially here in North America? Because nobody, we use that generalization, seems to want to know anything about the Lord. Nobody wants to talk about the Bible. You know, when we were in Peru, I, I say we get into a taxi cab if we needed to do that, and in five minutes, you could be sharing the gospel with the taxi driver. And that's not an exaggeration at all. Because there's this openness, like the first question is, why are you here? You know, that's where they start. And then you start talking. And then you say, you know, I'm, uh, I'm here to, to be a missionary or share the gospel. I'm, I'm training pastors. Or, and they want to know what you know about the Bible. Because those people are tuned in. They think, oh, that's important. They still have that in their mind. But especially here, when we try and share the gospel and somebody's a little bit open to talking about God, Jesus, the Bible, we've got to be going, well, the Lord's doing something here. The Lord's opening a door. Because this person isn't on the, you know, the usual route of, you know, we trust in science, whatever they mean by that. You know, we're, we're secular. We don't need God. And when somebody is open, open to that, you go, wow, God's led me to this place, given me this opportunity. doesn't mean the person's necessarily going to receive Christ, but wow, God has given me an opportunity maybe to sow, not maybe, to sow some seed here. Maybe I'm... Step number three of seven steps or something in this person coming to know the Lord and I have the privilege and the blessing of sharing in this moment what God has given me. This opportunity to, to share the gospel with this other person. I don't think we realize how much we need that. Not just, oh, we need that. We, you know, we need that to make the church grow or something. No, we need to be sharing Christ personally ourselves because if not, it grows old. It grows old. We, we, we lose the, the passion for what God can be doing in people's lives if we're not seeing it happen if we're not involved in the process, if we're not doing the very things that God has said, hey, this is what I have for my children to do. This is the role my church plays in the world. They continue to express the gospel, share truth, Jesus Christ with other people. And so the light has to be turning on here for Saul and Barnabas, because here's a government leader, a guy who has, you know, he's a person of note, he has everything he needs. It's not, you know, they didn't come along to some beggar on the street who already has his hand out and say, you know, we can, we can help with that. We can help you. This is a guy who thought he had everything he needed. But then he knew he needed something more. Starts to ask the questions. And there's that principle that comes up in 1 Peter 3.15 where it talks about set, 
Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready. Be ready. If anyone asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, be ready to give them an answer. And there is that, that truth. It doesn't happen all the time. But if we are walking with the Lord, if we sanctified, that's that setting apart thing again. If we have made Christ everything in our life, if we hold him as special, if we're walking with him, it's going to transform the way we live. Not just the things we do, but who we are. people are going to start asking us why we are how we are. I heard somebody say something about this just uh, a week or so ago. Some guy at work asked this other guy, what are you on? Because <laughs> you're so happy all the time. And that guy had this opportunity with this rough guy who everybody else was afraid of because the rough guy came up and opened the door and he says, what are you on? He had a chance to share Christ. That seems to be the principle here. This guy has come and he, you know, they've, they're walking with the Lord. They've set the Lord up in, in the right place in their hearts and they're ready to be witnesses and they were sent into this place and there was a guy there, probably more than one, who was ready to hear. Ready to hear. We should be led by the Lord, willing to be led by the Lord into these situations. And there will be people who, you know, may not want to hear, who we, we start to share something, they shut the door. That's fine. That's fine. But we need to be ready and doing what God has called us to do with confidence because the Lord will send us into situations and will ask us to speak in moments when people shut the door. That's what happened when he sent his disciples out and he says, you're gonna, you're gonna go to a town, you're gonna share Christ and, and people are gonna go, no, we don't get it. We don't want any part of that. This is, this is, and he says, shake the dust off your feet. Don't get mad at them. Don't, don't go after them. You don't have to throw rocks through the window or anything like that. Just shake the dust off your feet. Go on, share the gospel with some other people. Go to another town. Go to another place. That's how we're sent out. And even in that, we grow deeper in our relationship with the Lord. But how wonderful is it when there's the anomaly, the oddity of people who say, what, what is this thing you believe in? Or why are you different? Or what does, you know, you mentioned the gospel and that. What is that? Don't get too excited when that happens. Don't, don't, blah, you know, verbal diarrhea or anything. Just, just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And, and then just, just as plainly as we can, Tell them that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Tell them that he has, has saved us from our sin. Yeah, we're still sinners. Yeah, we still struggle. But we know that our relationship is right with God because of what Christ has done, not because of us. Because he's good, not us. And he's continuing to, to work in us, to work through us. Set apart, sent out, this last one, set up with the Spirit. Set up with the Spirit for eternal ends. Let's, let's continue to read verse 8 on down through verse 12. It says this, but Elymas the magician, he was also called Bar-Jesus, but he was called Elymas, which apparently means magician, he opposed them. And this guy was, you know, he, he must have done some magic tricks, something that people thought he was impressive, and he sought to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Here they are, this guy's asking questions. They're sharing Christ with him and, and teaching him. We don't know if this was in one moment or over the course of days. And this guy, this Jewish witch guy, 
is trying to get in the way. But Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind, unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. What happened? Something that was beyond Paul. Something that was the Lord working in this situation. Even with the present obvious and very direct spiritual opposition. This guy Saul, also called Paul, who was saturated by the Spirit of God. He was, he was capacitated by Christ, filled with Christ, taught by Christ. He was able to do more than he should have been able to do, humanly speaking. There was a miracle that took place. He responded in the situation and things fell together. He opposed that guy who was opposing Christ. Do you ever wish things like that would happen as you tried to share Christ? I mean, I, I think of it in the simplest of ways, not necessarily that we're, you know, we're, we're causing people to be blind or anything like that. Or remember the immature disciples of the Lord saying, uh, can we cast fire down on these people? Sometimes the immature disciples of the Lord still have thoughts like that, foolish thoughts like that today. But just to be able to be in a situation like this and do the right thing, say the right thing, after the fact, don't we always go, man, I wish I would have thought of that. I wish I would have said this. If only I had remembered. And to me, that's a big miracle. If I can remember or say the right thing in the right time and it just sort of sticks. I heard about a situation two weeks ago where a guy was saying he followed the Lord, believed the Lord, you know, and he was in this situation at Christmas time in a, in a department store. And there was a, a young lady with a, a baby stroller thing and she was trying to get, I think it was like up, a, up an escalator or something, which you're not supposed to do. Uh, and she was fighting with this and there were people and, and everything and he thought, oh, I'll help her. And so he just helped her negotiate the issue she was facing and she was frustrated and she said, they should just kill the man who invented Christmas. And he said, they did. And I just thought, yeah, that's a statement that makes somebody shut their mouth and go, what was just said? It was a Romans, a Romans 3.19 moment. It says, where every mouth is closed and all the people become guilty before God. We realize where we stand, don't we? When truth like that is stated, we go, oh, he's God. I'm not. I need to conform to his truth, not him to me. Wouldn't it be nice if we were better at that? In situations where people are saying and doing things and we're having an opportunity maybe to share Christ and we say something and, and everybody just stops and goes, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That is true. It's not what everybody else is saying. It's not maybe what I want, but it's true. And I need to adjust. 
when that happens, in these situations where Christ is extending his kingdom, where he's using us, he's set us apart, he's sent us out, and, and he's filled us with his spirit, set us up with his spirit, the Lord, as we walk closer with him, and as we are more willing to be used in situations that are difficult, the Lord will speak through us. The Lord will allow us to say things, maybe not as dramatic as that, but for the hearer, the person listening to us, it will be the thing that they needed to hear in that moment. We may forget about it. They may come back to us later and go, you know, when you said this, but are we willing to be used? If people are going to see the power of God, then we have to get out of the way. We have to stop thinking that it's up to us to, to, to manipulate a situation, to make things perfect, to do things. Just, just say, Lord, I submit to you in my everyday walk. I, I want to know you better. I want you to fill me more. I want to just live my life uh, in, in worship of you. We saw the church, they were fasting, they were praying. They were intent on on having a closer relationship with the Lord. These aren't just things that people, well, they are some things that people do to look good. Jesus talked about the Pharisees who would pray in the open marketplace. There were the people who, who, who fasted and walked around going, oh, oh, and he says, wipe your face if you're fasting and go out like nothing's going on. But these were all things to develop a closeness and intimacy with the Lord. Are we willing to do that so that in the moment when we are in a situation, we're saying, I'm I'm sharing with these people or this person and is based on a, a close walk with the Lord. It's he's filling me and I'm going to say what I say and I'll be confident and satisfied knowing that the outcome will be according to his purposes. Lord, just use me. Use me. What a striking contrast we should be in this world, in this society that denies the existence of God, that doesn't think they can connect with God. And yet here we are, people who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, a personal relationship where we talk to him, where he speaks to us through his word and his prodding, the prodding of his spirit, Don't do that. Do this. Not there, here. And in this intimate relationship with him that that we just continue to develop, he continues to work. I want that. How do I want that? Do I want that correctly or corruptly? You see, everybody has a desire to be connected with something that is eternal, something that is greater than themselves. In the secular world, we just talk about people want significance. But through Jesus Christ and the indwelling spirit, we have the opportunity as human beings to transcend this life and be connected with the eternal God of the universe. Doesn't always look glorious and glamorous, but that's not what it's about. It's about us being proper creatures, not us being God. It's about us waiting patiently for him to work through us in his way. Us walking with him. 
and seeing results that may not be too spectacular with anybody else, but we know, hey, God just used me for his glory. God just extended his kingdom through me. God just expanded his family. And there's one more who've come to know him, come into relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Wow. Lord, help us. Help us to understand our greatest satisfaction in this life is to be found in our relationship with you, worshiping you, waiting on you, drawing closer to you and and walking in obedience and seeing how you will work through us. Thank you for that joy when it comes, when when we finally see it expressed, but help us to be patient and submissive along the way. Help us to continue to go back to you daily, day after day, to to renew that relationship that you have given to us, that you have made possible through Christ, that you have awakened us to by the power of your spirit. Help us just to continue there and to to encourage one another and, and to speak, to overflow to overflow with your love for other people too. That more people might be involved in this incredible relationship, everlasting relationship with the eternal God. Help us to be your ambassadors, Lord. Help us to realize the worth of what we have in you. Thank you for your goodness and love. Thank you for this moment in your presence here together, hearing from your word. Continue to fill us, fill us more and more and help us, Lord, to be a people who show your glory to this world. Amen.